It's Friday, September 28th, and this is The Daily Dive. It was emotional, exciting, angry, and in the end, I'm not sure we're any closer to the truth or a consensus. Both Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee to tell their stories and try to establish credibility. Ford's testimony was emotional and tense, as she described an alleged sexual assault by the Supreme Court nominee. Brett Kavanaugh was angry, defiant, and also shed some tears during his testimony. Christine Blasey Ford walked away looking credible, and Kavanaugh walked away strong in his denial with lots of Republican support. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for a full analysis of all the testimony and what's next. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. So what you are telling us is this could not be a case of mistaken identity. Absolutely not. I swear today under oath before the Senate and the nation, before my family and God, I am innocent of this charge. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. We've been uh, following this together, the confirmation process of Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Yesterday was the big day, the testimony for both of them, Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford, and it did not disappoint. There was emotion. There was anger. I don't know if in the end we're any closer to the truth. And that was what a lot of people wanted to get to. They wanted to boil down and and really find something out. But the whole thing was about credibility. Is Christine Blasey Ford credible? Is Judge Brett Kavanaugh credible? Let's start with the testimony of Christine Ford early in the morning. What were some of her strongest points and what were some of her weaker points? It was very powerful and emotional testimony from Christine Blasey Ford. I think there were women crying, you know, in the room, staff uh, watching at home, at their desks, at work. It was incredibly moving. She described in graphic detail being assaulted, being fearful for her life at a moment, saying that as she tried to scream, uh, she alleges Brett Kavanaugh covered her mouth and she was afraid he was going to accidentally kill her because she could not breathe. I believed he was going to rape me. I tried to yell for help. When I did, Brett put his hand over my mouth to stop me from yelling. This is what terrified me the most and has had the most lasting impact on my life. It was hard for me to breathe, and I thought that Brett was accidentally going to kill me. As you were saying, you know, very emotional and, and and believable. You know, I think across the board, everybody said she seemed very credible. That's right. Um, she talked in detail. Uh, one woman I spoke to from Ohio who was watching at home, a 66-year-old uh, homemaker, told me that um, it was the moment in which she said that she had installed a second front door in her home, uh, something she found to be an, an effect of the lasting trauma, um, that she really began to believe. Uh, women, uh, to be clear, women who were, were inclined to believe her or sort of hadn't made their mind up about believing her men as well, uh, told me that that they found um, her testimony really compelling uh, and convincing. Yeah. Senator Patrick Leahy asked, uh, you know, one of the more most important questions, I thought, you know, because there was no investigation. People are just handovers, testimony and sworn affidavits and whatnot. So you really have to ask these probing questions and see how they react and and then judge for yourself. And he asked her, what do you remember the most from this? And she says that she never, that she'll never forget the laughter. 
What is the strongest memory you have? Strongest memory of the incident? Something that you cannot forget? Take whatever time you need. Indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter, the, la the uproarious laughter between the two, and they're having fun at my expense. That was uh, an incredibly powerful moment from her. Um, one could imagine hearing uh, the laughter of teenage boys. And um, as a powerful moment, you know, you can hear her voice cracking when you watched it. You could see her trembling. Um, and that audio visual experience um, is something that can't be scripted. Um, it's something that felt very genuine at the time. It's something that um, undoubtedly will be played again and again for years or decades to come um, of a woman telling a very emotional story uh, about her assault. Uh, I mean, I have to wonder, Oscar, as, as you watched it, um, were you, did that moment sort of click with you immediately? Uh, yeah, I would have to say completely. That's one of the things that stuck out to me the most. They always say that a, a lot of times uh, victims of assault like this don't remember all the details or what happened before and after. But the things that sit with them are, you know, the trauma. And, and as she said, you know, the laughter stuck with me, stuck with her. That was the most one of the most hurting moments. She I think she even said she almost made eye contact with Mark Judge, as she alleges. Uh, thinking he was going to help her and and he didn't, you know, and that they're having a good time. This is play for them at her own expense. So definitely one of the most impactful moments of the entire hearing. And I think that um, really sort of explains how that trauma can follow someone for their whole life. Um, she talked about it, um, that wanting help, um, that having Mark uh, allegedly jump onto the bed while the assault was taking place until they sort of tumbled off, described it in a way that um, one would have wondered if it was yesterday that she was talking about and not uh, 35 years prior. Now, there was an interesting thing that happened uh, with the prosecutor, the Arizona sex crimes prosecutor that the Republicans chose to uh, sit in their place to question. It was a uh, Rachel Mitchell. And since they were following the rules of the Senate committee, they were talking, they were interviewing in five minute increments. So it was Republicans turn, then it was Democrats turn. And Rachel Mitchell, you know, you get the sense she was approaching it from a classic prosecutor stance. She's building up slowly. Let's establish some facts. And then she's going to lead up to something. But I felt like she kept getting hampered by this five minute rule. And it just turned into this weird thing where it seemed like she was getting nowhere early on. The Democrats were hitting on all of these emotional moments seemingly to try to establish that credibility. And uh, Rachel Mitchell seemed like she was going nowhere early on. I have to say Republicans watching this found that Rachel Mitchell did nothing to help the Republican cause. They thought that, in fact, uh, her questioning of Dr. Ford made Dr. Ford appear more credible. Um, she asked a number of probing questions. Uh, she got into lots of detail about her account um, and then seemed to venture into other things like had she been paid? Was she afraid of flying? Um and at the end of the day, um, I was told by Republican strategists watching that testimony that they felt that she bolstered uh, Ford's credibility instead of undercutting it. People were making things of she didn't remember 
who took her home after the party. She said she had to escape through the front door. She had to pass by everybody as she left, but she doesn't remember how she got home. This thing of, you know, who paid for the polygraph test, who uh, you said you hate flying, but yet you went to all these vacations. These are all moments you were trying to poke holes in uh, her story. But were there any weak moments that you noticed from Christine Ford? The one criticism I heard from others was maybe something she couldn't solve, that she just didn't have solid, tangible evidence. But um, otherwise, I think there was quite a bit of praise for how she handled that um, entire line of questioning. On all of these little things, um, we, we have to wonder if the questions weren't meant to sort of undermine her credibility to the general public, but to undermine her credibility to a small group of people who already believed that she was lying, or maybe not small, it maybe a sizable population of people that believed already that she was lying. And so uh, they were looking for little things that have already been suggested, like she's a political operative and was taking political right. money. Um, and the proof is in how she bought her plane ticket to come to Washington. None of that uh, was sort of strung together by the, by uh, Rachel in a, in a final statement or in a big put a bow on it. But right. she had those little tiny pieces there. Yeah. And, and a lot of the questioning revolved around that, like who suggested you hire these lawyers? You know, they're trying to put her saying that she was a pawn of the Democrats. And that's why these things came up so late and whatnot. Uh, let's move a little to uh, Brett Kavanaugh's testimony. The president has already come out and said that he was thrilled by his by his testimony. He said it was powerful, honest, riveting. Uh, and the Democrats were just using a search and destroy strategy, which was disgraceful and called for the Senate to vote immediately. And that's how Brett Kavanaugh started. He started off. Uh, he sounded pretty angry. Um, and, and, and pretty fiery. He did get emotional. He had some tears that he shed a little bit. He said that the hearing had become a national disgrace. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. The Constitution gives the Senate an important role in the confirmation process. But you have replaced advice and consent with search and destroy. Since my nomination in July... There's been a frenzy on the left to come up with something, anything, to block my confirmation. This was one of the most angry testimonies that he could have given. And I have to admit myself, and, and I think a lot of people were shocked uh, that he began so angry, that he stayed so angry for the duration, um, <laughs> except those moments when he was crying. Um, and it was so partisan. Uh, we heard him in the first uh, rounds of testimony talk about not being partisan, about being independent, about being unable uh, to comment on anything that might be perceived as partisan. Um, and in the course of his testimony uh, this week, he then accused uh, the Democrats of perpetuating what he called revenge for the Clintons. Right. Um, I cannot think of a more partisan uh, approach than than suggesting that all of this is just the Clintons trying to get back at him. Yeah, that definitely struck me too. Um, you know, you sympathize with him in, in the sense that he's being accused and to him, he's totally denying this. In his head, he's never done this. He didn't do this. He doesn't know where these accusations are coming from. So of course- He's going to fight tooth and nail to to defend his character. But, you know, at that point, uh, which you were just alluding to, it's like you throw impartiality out the window when he's criticizing the Democrats in that way. And I thought it would have served him a little better if he stayed away from that stuff. And still, you can remain defiant and angry at the, 
you know, some of the process that was going on, but don't attack the Democrats because then it makes you look like, you know, further on down the line, if you do get confirmed, you're always going to be, uh, you, you know, you, you can't be impartial anymore. Have no doubt that he had clearly given up on convincing any Democrats to vote for his nomination. This was a rallying cry to his base, to President Trump's base. Um, and he was speaking uh, to a fear that exists, at least in some portions of the American male population, that they're constantly at risk, good people, innocent people of being wrongly accused of sexual assault. Um, he was trying to say that any good, upstanding man in America could end up in his shoes. Um, and he was telling Republicans that this was a political issue. Um, and, you know, if the if the Republican senators have to go to the floor next week and vote on a nomination that is framed in, do you believe uh, Christine Blasey Ford or not? Um, it would be hard uh, to vote to say they don't. She was just such a credible messenger um, in her testimony. But if you frame the vote, not in the truthfulness of the accusation, but in the partisanship of the vote of it being Republicans versus Democrats of one side winning versus losing, uh, that vote looks different to a lot of Republican senators. I thought that Brett Kavanaugh was pretty strong in his denials of this. Obviously, he was, you know, <laughs> going to maintain the line the whole time. And, and Rachel Mitchell did get to question him a little bit. It didn't last the entire session of his of his testimony. But I thought where he looked a little uneasy was when they did keep bringing up the issue of his drinking. They, uh, you know, he kept going back and forth to, I like beer, I drink beer, you know, how many beers do you like? You know, he was asking defiantly to the senators, would you like to drink, you know, trying to diffuse it a little bit. But, uh, you know, that was one of the things they kept asking him about his memory. Did you ever black out when you were drinking? And I felt like he was a little uneasy answering those questions. He did appear to become frustrated. Um, I think maybe one of the bigger moments of his testimony was when um, Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, after talking about how her father um, is a well-known alcoholic who has talked about his addictions, who at 90 years old still attends AA meetings. She asked him, had he ever been blackout drunk? And his response was, I don't know. How about you? <laughs> right. Um, and he did later uh, apologize for that remark, um, but it was incredibly flippant and um, well outside the norms of how we see um, people testifying in front of the United States Senate or talking to a United States senator, um, especially immediately after she's talking about uh, addiction in her own family. These last two moments that I want to address uh, during Brett Kavanaugh's testimony, I thought really changed the tone and where everything was kind of ending up at the at the end of the whole hearing is when Dick Durbin um, urged Kavanaugh to look to Don McGahn and say, hey, let's stop this. Let's do an uh, FBI investigation, because after that, all the Republican senators wanted to focus on. We don't need this. Uh, the FBI doesn't make any conclusions. They're just going to do a report. Why didn't the Democrats bring this to us earlier? And the other part was with Lindsey Graham. Uh, that's when Rachel Mitchell stopped asking questions. She was done at the end of at, at, at when that happened. And Lindsey Graham had an angry, impassioned plea for Brett Kavanaugh. He said, you guys are destroying this guy's life. This is going to destroy the ability of good people to come forward because of this crap. Your high school yearbook. You're supposed to be Bill Cosby when you're a junior and senior in high school. And all of a sudden, you got over it. It's been my understanding 
that if you drug women and rape them for two years in high school, you probably don't stop. I hope that the American people will see through this charade. I'm not aware of any evidence that um, people who rape someone in high school then stop, uh, but maybe Lindsey Graham will provide that for us. Uh, But it was clear he was angry and he was trying uh, to voice that anger um, and trying to uh, rally the troops and say uh, this is unfair and they needed to show up and defend their guy. Um, This is a clear um, uh, two different worlds. Uh, the, the, The members of that panel uh, were not viewing the world in the same way. Uh, Democrats were talking about what they saw as a credible and legitimate claim that needed to be taken seriously. And then, as Senator Dianne Feinstein put it, weighed as part of a job interview. And Republicans saw this as a political partisan fight, an assault from Democrats that needed to be defended, uh, that Brett Kavanaugh was the victim of, and that they needed to step in and do something to rally him. And I think that, uh, you know, you talked about the questions stopping. Uh, We understand that to be because Republicans felt that they were not getting what they needed out of those questions and that they needed to be vocally defending him. Yeah, there was no emotion on the part of uh, Rachel Mitchell. So they needed to interject interject themselves to kind of charge up that side of it. In the end, where does this put us? Because, you know, while this played out, uh, on television, uh, on radio, everywhere, all over the world, people were really looking into this. It was really, uh, you know, for a smaller audience. It was just for those members in the committee to see if anybody was going to get swayed. It was for those in the Senate to uh, how they're going to vote later on next week. Uh, in, in reality, this whole thing was just for a smaller audience than anybody else realizes. And I don't think we're any closer to any type of conclusion. I'm not sure I agree with you there, Oscar. I think you're right. Um, There is a question of what the Senate does. We uh, late on Thursday, we're hearing that some Republican senators remain undecided on Kavanaugh. Um, But the the odds on were still that uh, he passes, if not uh, by a 50-50 vote that's broken by Mike Pence. There were a lot more people watching. And I mean, all over the country, huddled around TVs in airports and in bars and in restaurants, people watching at their desk. Um, And women, particularly, particularly liberal women, were enraged by what some of what they saw and saddened by hearing uh, Dr. Ford's story. Um, and that could have some real impacts um, in where how women turn out to vote in November and how they interact with their elected officials. Um, this could have reverberating effects, uh, not just on the American judicial system, but the entirety of the American political system and government, uh, not just for weeks or months, but for years or decades. I, I I do actually totally agree with that. I mean, in the short term, if they want to push it through and vote him in, that can totally happen. But the next big thing will be what happens in the midterms and how you know outraged people get as a result of whatever happens. As of now, they're still scheduled to vote later today. And then the earliest, if possible, if they do confirm uh, Brett Kavanaugh could happen early next week. That's right. Uh, we'll be watching all of it very closely. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for following this with us. Thanks for having me again. All right, that's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow the Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.